All right, while the kids are heading up, um, Joe, I didn't told you I was going to do this, but would you come up here for a second? I promise, Joe, it'll be all right. You got a penalty flat. <laughs> all right, turn around. And bl blindfold Joe here. Okay. All right. Now, Joe, you stand right there. Okay. This is a really simple illustration as we start today. And I just want to ask, is how Joe perceives how close or far away I am to him, does that change the reality? So because he's blindfolded, he can't see when I may be very close to him or when I may be very far away from him. Right? He's blinded to that reality. Whether I'm close or far away, he doesn't know because he can't see. All right, Joe, that's it. Told you to be all right, okay? So right now, at this very moment, God is as present with us as he ever will be. Right now, God is as present with us as he ever has been and as he ever will be. Even in heaven, even in heaven, it won't be that God is more present with us there than he is right now. Instead, we are going to be transformed so that we are able to see his presence. Ephesians 2 tells us that through faith in Christ, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Paul uses this as present tense language that right now, by faith, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Our position in relationship to God right now, and that's beyond our comprehension that in some way, all of us together are united with Christ in the heavenly places. But Paul says it's true of us. We are as near to God now as we ever will be. Even in eternity, God doesn't come closer to us. Instead, we are transformed so that we can see and know and understand that reality. And when we worship God, when we worship him, we are participating in an act where we become more aware of his presence. And as we worship, God is actually transforming us to be a people who more and more in our day-to-day -day lives in this life can begin to see and recognize and become more aware of his presence. When we worship God, we start to get a glimpse. Our eyes begin to open and to, be, to see this experience that God is now and always is with us and near us. Let's pray. God, we pray that today as we consider this calling to worship you as a community, God, that we would get a glimpse, get a taste, get just a sense of this great biblical truth that you are here. Nearer to our hearts, closer to us even than we are to our own selves. God, I pray that through our worship today that we would, again, get a glimpse of that, that we would know it, 
And God, that we would be transformed more and more to see the truth of it. In Jesus' name, amen. When you were baptized, you were baptized in the triune name of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism means to to immerse. And it's the same Greek word that's used to describe like putting a cup into a water, into water, into to wash it. To be baptized is to be immersed into the name of God, into the name of the three-person God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And being baptized into the name of the three persons of the Trinity is more than simply being put into water and having those words spoken over you. It means to be baptized, to be immersed into the life of God. That relational love and joy that we've been talking about that exists within the relation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity, that's what you are being baptized into through faith in Christ. As I brought up a couple times over the last few weeks, Second Peter says that we are invited to participate in the divine nature. That is a reality that we cannot fully understand. But again, it's a reality that Scripture says is true about us. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 20 through 24. And this comes at the end of Jesus' instructions to his disciples on the last night that they were together when they were in the upper room and they shared in the Passover meal and then Jesus came began to give them instructions about what was going to happen to him and what they should expect next and he also prays for himself and he prays for his disciples and he prays for all of us who would come to believe in him and in John chapter 17 verses 20 through 24 Jesus prays this prayer that we would experience unity with him and with his father. This is what he says in verse 20. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them. That is the disciples who are with me. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Do you believe in Jesus today? This prayer is what Jesus prayed for you. I pray that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved me, even love them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known 
in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The way I've described this prayer is immersive unity. This prayer is asking for immersive unity to be true of us as Jesus' followers. Jesus prays that the unity that he, the Son, has with the Father and has always had with the Father would be a unity that we experience too. And so Jesus, throughout this prayer, prays this, this prayer in In, 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 as you are in me and I am in you, may they be in me as I am in you, may they be in me. It's just this in, 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 immersive unity together. He prays that you and I would be in him, that he would be in us. And that as we are in him and he in us, then you and I would be unified together too. That we would be in one another, unified together. Jesus' prayer, this prayer prayed by the Son to the Father, is that this Trinitarian reality of unity that we've been talking about over the last month would overflow into our life and into our community. And Jesus says that when that happens, when we experience that sort of unity, that immersive unity in our own lives and in our community, then that is when the world will know who God is. It will in some way, in a very real way, reflect the reality of God to the world. This is Jesus's prayer for us on that last night, that we would be brought into the unity of God and that that unity would be expressed in our life together with one another And that through that unity, the world would come to know God. Here at uh, Broadway Christian Church, uh, there are four characteristics that we know, that we believe that God has put into us, has instilled in us. Those are steadfast worship, healing community, uncommon unity, and faithful witness. And what I want to make plain today is that these last three Being a healing community, being a church of uncommon unity, and being faithful witnesses in the world, they all flow out of the first one. They all flow out of our calling to be people of steadfast worship. As we worship God, God is at work transforming and changing us into who he wants us to be. Through our worship, God is at work bringing about healing helping us to overcome the wounds and the pain that we experience because of our sin and the sin that has been committed against us. He is at work healing us and making us a healing community as we worship. Through worship, God is at work drawing us together as a community, helping us to be the people that he prayed about in John chapter 17, a people of uncommon unity, to be a group of people who come together not because we're alike, not because we like the same things, not because we just have the same kind of culture or the same socioeconomic class, but a group of people who, of uncommon unity who come together as diverse people drawn together from our shared commitment to Jesus. And through worship, God makes us people of faithful witness. Again, that as we 
are unified together, that our life together as a community would reflect him to the world, that God would be made known through our unity. And over the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about the various things that we do to worship God. How do we respond to the triune God that we worship? What are the things that we do on our own and as a community to express worship to God? The next couple months, we're going to look at the actions of a worshiper. But what I want to do today, before we do that, is to take a step back again and to emphasize today the truth that as we worship God, God continues to be at work transforming us. He's transforming us to be the kind of people that he calls us to be and to be the kind of community that God, that he wants us to be and to be the kind of community that the world needs us to be. In our worship, God is at work in us each individually. He's taking off that blindfold, helping us to see him, helping us to know his reality and his presence in our life. He's at work transforming our inner character so that we will be more like Jesus And in our worship, God is also at work bringing bringing us together in him, all of us together as a community. So he's working to change our hearts and he's working to change our community as we worship. There is a theme that runs throughout the scriptures about worship. It's a truth about worship. And that truth is this, that we become like whatever we worship. We become like whatever we worship. Whatever our highest object of affection is, whatever we love the most, whatever we think about the most, whatever we meditate on the most, we become like that thing, like that object or like that person. In the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, this theme is mostly articulated to us negatively. The prophets warn Israel that if they worship idols, then they will become like the idols that they worship. We become like whatever or whoever we worship. And this is true whether we worship idols or whether we worship the true and living God. Psalm 115 verses 4 through 8 say this. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them, that is idols, will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. We become like whatever we worship. And the same concept is repeated in Deuteronomy and in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. One author, Greg Beale, has written a book called We Become What We Worship. And he says this. He says, we become what we worship for our ruin or for our restoration. We become what we worship, either for our ruin or for our restoration. If we worship idols, if we worship created things, then we will become like our idols and they will ruin us. If we worship God, then it will be for our restoration. 
we will become like him. What do the psalm writer and, and the prophets, what do they mean when they say that we become like the idols that we worship? This psalm says that an idol has ears but cannot hear, eyes but cannot speak, feet but cannot walk, hands but cannot feel, and a throat that cannot utter a sound. When we worship idols, we become this way in a spiritual way. We become less and less able to sense God. The blindfold gets put over our eyes when we worship idols. We do not see God. We cannot hear from God. We are spiritually dead, spiritually inanimate, spiritually flatlined when we worship idols. An idol has no life and is unable to do anything And if we worship an idol, we become like them, spiritually dead, without spiritual life, without any ability to do any spiritual thing. If we worship idols, the blindfold stays on. We become unresponsive to God. We also become become like idols if we worship them in that we become temporary like idols. Idols are passing. They are a created thing. And so if we invest our life in a temporary thing, we tie our future in with that temporary thing. The analogy to making a financial investment is helpful here. If we invest all of our money in one company, our financial future is determined by the failure or success of that company. When we worship idols, we are investing in. We are binding ourselves to things of this earth that are passing away. So when money or sex or power or reputation becomes the most important thing to us, then we are binding ourselves to that temporary thing and we become like what we worship. The message of Psalm 115 and the prophets is that if we worship idols, we will become like them. Deaf, mute, and blind towards God and we will become in some way temporary, impermanent. We will pass away like the thing that we worship. We become like, we become what we worship for our ruin or restoration. In the Old Testament especially, it articulates this in the negative, becoming like the idols that Israel worshiped. In the New Testament, it speaks of it more in a positive way. When we worship God, we become like Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. 1 Corinthians 15. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth and is the heavenly man. So also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We become like who we worship. We become like Christ. In the Old Testament, it spoke more that we become like what we worship. As 
the people of Israel were worshiping idols. In the New Testament, it's clear. We become like who we worship. And this is the work that God is doing in each of us who worship the true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are invited into this relationship with God that transforms us into Christ's likeness. This is a process now of slowly, day by day, becoming more and more like him as we worship him, as we contemplate him, as we spend time with him, as we invest our energy, our time, our resources in him, we become like him. And so rather than becoming temporary like an idol, like the things of this world, we become eternal. We are made into eternal stuff. Our bodies will be transformed so that they will be like his glorious, eternal body. Through your worship, God is working in you to conform you into the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He is working in you as you worship to conform you into the likeness of his son in character, in your ability to hear and respond to God. And ultimately, he will transform your body so that it will be an eternal, glorious, resurrected forever body. We become like what we worship. If we worship idols, we will remain spiritually dead, unresponsive to God, not able to see him or hear him or respond to him. And we will remain dead without eternal life. But if we worship Christ, we become like who we worship. Spiritually alive to God now able to hear him and see him. The blindfold begins to come off so that we can be aware of his presence with us and like him in that we receive eternal life. Turn with me to Romans chapter one. I'm gonna spend a few minutes looking at the book of Romans where Paul in his letter to the Romans articulates this idea in a very concrete way, both in uh, the negative aspect as well as the positive aspect. In Romans chapter 1, Paul writes about those who worship idols, about those who worship the created thing rather than the creator. I'm going to begin by reading Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 21, going to read through verse 25. Paul writes, for although they, that is those who are unbelievers, who have refused to uh, believe and surrender to God, for all though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God For images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So on the left side here, I have a description of some of the kind of the key words in Romans chapter one, where Paul here is describing the worship of idols. 
Those who worship idols are futile in their thinking. They have darkened hearts. They have degraded bodies. They worship created things, and they exchange truth for lies. In Romans chapter 12, Paul shifts, and he talks about what it's like to worship God and what people like that are like. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others." Romans 12, the worship of God involves offered bodies. It involves renewed minds. It involves the ability to discern God's will. It involves concern for neighbor, and it involves being members of one another. At the end of Romans 1, flip back to Romans 1, Paul describes the results of the kinds of communities that worship idols. Listen to the description of the kind of communities that worship idols. Verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do those very things, but are Approve of those who practice them. It's a dark description of a community of people who worship the created thing rather than the creator. Let's hear the opposite in Romans 12. Here's a description of the kind of community of people who worship the creator rather than the created thing. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. 
If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I believe that Paul is making a very clear and intentional contrast in Romans chapter 1 as he describes those who worship idols, that those kinds of communities, what they become like. And in Romans chapter 12, those kinds of communities of people who have chosen to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, as their minds are transformed, as their will is transformed, as they're able to discern the will of God, no longer deaf and dumb and mute to God, but alive to God and his will. This is the kind of community that results from it. And friends, this is the kind of community that our world needs us to be. In the last month, we've spent time reflecting on the eternal nature of the triune God. God, for all of eternity, is relational, full of love, fully content, full of joy. Within the relations of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is fully united, and he enjoys and delights being in himself. The Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There is perfect self-giving and surrender and peace and harmony between these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Romans 12, 9 through 21, is a description of what a community looks like that has fully surrendered to the worship of this triune God. We become like him, fully at peace with one another, living in harmony with one another seeking the good of the other, surrendered to one another. We become like who we worship. We become a community that is full of love and contentment, full of joy. A community where each person does not think of themselves more highly than the other, but prefers the needs of other people, extends hospitality to those who are in need. Those who are in low position are given a high place in that community. We refuse to follow the pattern of this world that responds to evil with more evil, but insists on kindness and generosity, even to those who consider us enemies. And so what I want to do as we finish today is I I want you to consider which of these two patterns are you following? That you, you would ask the Lord, which pattern are you following? And What road does that lead toward? As you consider your interactions with your family, as you consider your interactions with your neighbors and your coworkers, is that reflecting a person who worships and loves the triune, perfect God? Which pattern are you following? Is the pattern of this world or is the pattern that has been given to us and shown to us by Jesus the Son? So just take a couple of moments to Ask that question, what pattern are you following? God, we thank you that as we respond in worship to you, that you continue to move into our hearts and into our
community, and that you are at work transforming us into who you want us to be. God, would you reveal to us those areas of our lives we, where we still have placed some created thing at the top as the most important? God, would you reveal that to us and show us how to, to turn away and to place you as the most important, as first, as only God, and as we do that, we pray that you would make us aware. You would take the blindfold off of us and make us aware of your presence with us. And you would do your work of making us more and more like your son. Amen.